You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, the Hunter Profile Edition. My name is Dan Johnson, aka Dallas Fort Worth. It's about 10.30 on a Wednesday night. I just finished editing this podcast and I am eating, in one hand I have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and on the other hand I have a glass of Johnny Walker Black. And for some reason, those two particular, that drink-food combination goes pretty good together, so give it a try. Now, the the Hunter Profile podcast that you're about to, to listen to is what I feel is the epitome of bow hunting. It's not a big deer, it's not a mature deer, but it's someone who is new to archery, who did what they were supposed to do at the beginning of the season. They practiced shooting. They they did their research on wind direction and how to access ground. And long story short, they got it done on their very first their very first uh buck with a bow. It's not the biggest buck in the world. It's not the most mature buck in the world, but this buck means something very, very special to uh, the person I interviewed. Uh, his name is Justin Walsh. He lives in Wisconsin and uh, here's the interview. All right. On the phone with me now is Justin Walsh. How's it going today, Justin? Great, Dan. Thanks. So today we are here on another Hunter Profile podcast, and we're going to talk about the deer that you shot this year. But before we do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you live? How old are you? What do you do for a living? So I live in southeastern Wisconsin, um, in a town called Sheboygan. Uh, it's about an hour south of Green Bay, and um, 26 years old. Uh, for a living, I, I work for a company that makes coffee filters, and we sell coffee filters and um, baby wipes and stuff like that. Um, so I travel a fair amount uh, with that. Um, I'm not married yet, but I, I do have a fiance, so we're set to get married next September. And no kids, uh, just two dogs. Um, and I'm fine with that for right now. So. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you right now. You have kids, but your bow hunting time goes down. Yeah, I've, I've gathered that from the podcast that I've listened to, so I'm trying to minimize that or push that off into the future as much as possible. So, as we were talking a little bit about before we started recording, you're not new to hunting, but 
new to bow hunting. Elaborate on that a little bit. So growing up, I grew up on a farm and, you know, what we did, my dad and I, what we did for fun is we, we were outside a lot and we hunted basically anything you could hunt. So like ducks, geese, rabbit, turkey, you know, and as far as whitetails, pretty much just um, gun deer season um, each and every year. So like all my life, I, I've always been hunting, but didn't really get into bull hunting until about two years ago after I graduated college. So I got done with college, you know, and started working and I, you know, sitting in a cubicle all day. It's just like, wow, I really didn't realize how much I really enjoyed being outside hunting. So, you know, I, I started, I actually just somehow stumbled across the Laird to Hunt podcast and, you know, just full force dove into it and started trying to learn as much as I could about, I didn't even own a bull at this point. So like I, I had, I used my dad's old one for probably the, the first entire season, which didn't fit me at all. You know, I had, I knew nothing about like draw length or draw weight or anything like that. So I, I, I really was starting from like square, square one, like two years ago. And ever since then, there's been a lot of mistakes that have happened, but a lot of learning also. And, you know, I, I really spend a majority of my time either doing stuff related to bow hunting now or thinking about bow hunting. Hey, you're in a good spot man i tell you brand new into it you know would would you say that this year was your first serious year getting after it yeah so so last year was like my first season like kind of like figuring everything out you know and there's all that stuff that goes along with it like like equipment and making it fit and like becoming comfortable with like a bow and you know last year's season came to an end and immediately, like, when, when that season is over, you just start making this mental list of stuff that you want to do differently or that you want to improve on or that you want to start trying for next season. So, like, literally from that point all the way through the summer until this summer started or this season came to happen, I all I thought about was what am I going to do to improve or, or get better or, you know, make it happen when I'm out in the woods. So, I, yeah, that that's pretty much where I was at as far as um, my experience level. This is the first year that I, I actually look back on it and like there's some stuff that I'm really happy that I did and I think worked out well, but then other stuff too that, you know, at the end of every season, you're like, I, I could have done that better or I could have done this better. So there's still room for improvement, but this I would say would be my first season where I could maybe pass off as, a, as somewhat of a hardcore bull hunter. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, as you know, I, as you and as you know, as I do the podcast with Mark every week, and as you've listened to him, one thing that we always try to preach is that uh, uh, you're going to make mistakes, and it's how you learn from them that uh, that makes you a better bow hunter. So, so now let's let's get into let's get into this this season. All right, let's but let's not go. Let's see when does Wisconsin start? Like uh, the fifteenth, right of of September. Yeah, generally that second Saturday in September is opening weekend. Okay, so so let's not start there. What were you doing this this summer, right before the season? Were you doing anything to get ready for the season? Yeah, so generally I, I got into a pretty good routine um, during the summer. So after work got done, I made it a point to – so like in the off-season, you know, I, I changed up like a lot of the gear that I had as far as my bow and like arrows and broadheads and stuff that I was shooting. So once I 
the summer started, I had a lot of that stuff squared away, but I hadn't had a lot of time to shoot it. So during the summer, I tried to make it a point to at least shoot my bow once a day after work at some like whether it's five arrows or 25 arrows. Um, that was something that I really put a lot of time and effort into. And then um, also just periodically checking trail cameras and doing a lot of um, just like driving around like in July or August and seeing what's out in the fields and making note of it, keeping like detailed notes about like what you can, what you do see when you're out there. Yeah. Cause like what I realized is that, you know, it may not seem like it, but like if you just mentally register that something's out there, you're, I'm going to, I'm going to forget about it personally. That's what's going to happen. And yeah. I, I tried to make myself get in the habit of taking notes down of, of um, stuff that was going on or stuff that I was seeing. So basically my summer, you could sum it up as practicing with the bow, um, checking trail, trail cameras and, and driving around to see what I could see late at, or like right before dusk, basically. Now this, uh, you said you were running trail cameras. Was the buck that you ended up shooting, did you get him on trail camera before the season started? I did. So I had him on two separate trail cameras that are they're probably about, probably a mile and a half to two miles apart. Oh. So... Yeah, I, I got him on trail camera a, a few times before I actually shot him. Okay. So. Good. Now, did this buck? This buck, obviously, you shot him, so it got you excited. Um, now that you you saw what was out there, did that even get you more pumped up for the season? Oh yeah. So like the, like looking back on it and thinking about it, the thing that I think is is most enjoyable. And like I can relate to with, with like your opinion, like I just I love checking freaking trail cameras. You know, like <laughs> I, I, I could do that. It's like, addicting. If there's a full time job where I could just drive around and check check trail cameras, like from the second I get that card <laughs> in my pocket, I cannot without just like burning a hole in it, you know. I just want to see what's on it. And it, yeah, it's, like it's even better too, like when you can put all the pieces together and you see like whether it's a doe or a buck, like, and you see him on trail camera uh, and then you see it in real life. Like when you're out there in the stand and you end up like taking the animal. I mean, that's, it's hard to describe that to someone that isn't into bull hunting, I think. Right. So, right. Well, man, that's awesome. I, I, how, so how many total trail cameras were you running? Just two. Over, just yeah, two. Just, I just had okay. just two trail cameras and, so what I would do, like, in the early summer, like, I don't have a ton of, like, big chunks of property to hunt on. So, like, my I have a, my the farm that I grew up on is, like, fairly decent in size, but um, in terms of, like, deer habitat, it's, there's not that much acreage there that could that's going to hold deer or draw deer to that property. So, like, the chunks of land that I hunt on, are they're not very big. So early on in the spring and summer, I would just kind of rotate those cameras around in like a sequence, like every two or three weeks I'd switch them. And just from doing that, I kind of took like an inventory of what's on each property. And then once I kind of honed in on like these two separate properties that had, I thought the most potential, then I just kind of said, all right, I'm just going to focus efforts on these then and just left those two trail cameras there. So that way I wasn't going in and and bumping stuff out or disturbing it more than I had to. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so now it comes time to, you know, it, you, you know, the deer there, were there any other bucks that you got on trail camera that were potential shooters for you? Yeah. So there was a, the buck that I was actually targeting, um, he ended up getting shot the week beforehand. 
so I there there aren't there weren't a lot of big bucks on the property. There was the buck that I harvested, and then there was one that uh, was probably comparable in size, and then there was probably a two and a half year old eight pointer, which is a, a fairly decent sized deer for the area that I hunt in, and that was the buck that I really really wanted to get a chance at, but the neighbor ended up shooting it the week beforehand. So it was kind of discouraging, but still, like, I knew, like, he's a bull hunter, and he appreciates that kind of stuff also. So it was yeah. nice to see him, you know, get the deer, because we had been trading pictures back and forth um, the entire summer. Like, he'd send me some when he was on his property, and I'd send him the few shots that I had of the buck on my property. But, yeah, that was the original one that I was targeting, but that, that didn't work out, unfortunately. Hey. That's, uh, that's bow hunting for you, you know? Um, all right. So you've got him on trail camera. You tell me about a little bit about your scouting methods. Uh, what were you doing before the season? Did you, did you, because this is a family farm, did you know the ins and outs of these timber lots or were you doing some preseason scouting to, to know where you were going to hang your tree stands? Yeah. So this is, um, so the farms that I was the farm that I was hunting on, I was somewhat familiar with it, but not like a, an intimate understanding, I guess, of like how deer interact with the property. So, like, I had done some scouting on it the year prior, and um, the year prior there's actually soybeans planted around the chunk of timber that I was hunting. So, like, when I walked through it and just from observing the, the previous season. There wasn't just a, there wasn't a ton of sign in there, and I didn't really focus that heavily on it because I didn't have I didn't really have any deer on camera, and there wasn't a lot of like rubs, scrapes, or beds or anything that I could see that showed that there was activity there. So when this season rolled around, and to keep in mind last season there were soybeans, this year there was corn. So I think the corn actually had a huge influence on on the amount of deer traffic that was walking through that area. So I actually like probably I shot him like mid October and probably towards the end of September, I walked in there and placed a trail camera just to see what, what I could get on um, camera during that time period, you know, cause I hadn't had anything in there for a couple of weeks yet. And I thought, well, you know, you never know. So I, I walked in and on my way in there and on the way out, I saw so many scrapes and rubs just on the trail. Um, system that was inside the woods and from that point like the first thing that goes through my mind is all right i, I gotta get this camera in here and i want to get out because i don't want to bump anything off the property right and um yeah so i i basically that was the last time i was in there then before i um went to or the, the night that i shot him so there was the, the next thing that i, I kind of look at um I look. I, I know, like, kind of generally where I want to be on the property and where I thought they were bedding, but I didn't really know for sure. So the, the main thing that I focused on, I guess, was making sure that the wind was correct and that the weather, I guess, was setting up in my favor or that the most amount of details related to, like, weather or moon or, or wind or anything like that were stacked in my favor. So I'm fairly anal when it comes to, like, looking at, like, maps and, like, weather and stuff like that. So, um I waited until I thought the weather was perfect and the wind was perfect. And that's when I decided to kind of make my move and go in there and actually take a chance and see, see what would happen. So, now, if you're following along on like iTunes right now or Stitcher or anything that's not on the actual website, go to, yeah. go to the website 
right now and and look at the picture that uh, Justin gave me, and it's a little map of the area of where he's of where his uh, stand and the bedding area is. So that entire little block of timber where you had your stand in was the corn out by then, or was it still in that when you went? No, in? The, corn, the corn was still up. Okay. Like, so that entire block of timber was surrounded by standing corn. Like an island. So that's probably like a, yeah, like yeah, like high high corn. So it's like probably fifty acre cornfield, give or take. The, the, and describe what that little block of timber is. So it's it's just you know it's it's your typical like Midwest Wisconsin hardwoods I guess is, is the best way to describe it. There's pretty thick undergrowth, and if you look on like that east side where I kind of have the the, the bedding area um, marked in yellow, it's a little bit thicker over there. And then it is on, on the west, or not the, I should say, I've got my east and west mixed up. So the yellow part of the map is the bedding area, and that's a, a little bit more thick on that side of the woods than it is on the other side. Gotcha. So I, I thought that they'd be probably bedding in that area rather than any other area. Um, and just from like the way that the woods is set up and the access route that I thought was going to be least intrusive, I guess, um, that's where I thought I'd, I had the best chance of kind of seeing some deer traffic within range. So. Gotcha. So, all right. So it, you went in and you placed, uh, roughly what date did you, uh, go in there to set the trail camera up? It was the last week of August. Last so week of August. I, and then, or, you, yeah, yeah, last week of August. And then when did you go in to check it for the first time and to find out that, you know, you had some activity on this trail camera? Last week of September. Last week of September. When, okay. Yeah, so I had it in there for a good month because I just, I, you know, mentally you think to yourself, and, and I think this is something that like a lot of people maybe get in the rut of doing, because I hadn't seen a lot of stuff there historically, I had just kind of like mentally written that location off as something that someplace that I'm not going to see a lot of deer traffic or a lot of deer sign. So, you know, I wasn't really focusing on it at all. So when I went back in there to check the trail camera and I saw that there was you know, all of this, these scrapes on the way in and I'm like, well, okay, like let's get to the card and get out of there then. And yeah, that, that was the, so when I grabbed that card then and got out of there, I, I, I didn't go back in until, um, the time that I shot him. So. Cool. So in, in relationship to where you have your stand marked on this map, where was your, where was your trail camera? Trail camera was probably about, 75 to 100 yards uh, northeast of my stand, so almost directly in the middle of the of the woods. Gotcha. So there's a little tra- uh, there's a little trail like right next to my. If you look, the red dot is my stand. Um, just to the right of that, there's kind of like an access trail that snakes through the woods a little bit, and um, I just set it right like right basically in the middle of the first big clearing that I saw like. There's like numerous scrapes around in this clearing, so I figured that was a good place to, to drop it. Gotcha. So I, I, that's where I picked the code. Okay. All right. So uh, you went in there the last week of August. You checked it. It is. It's time to hunt. Did you? I, you know, as a first-time bow hunter, I take it you were pretty excited to get in there to try to to get after this deer. Did you? Yeah. Hold, did you hold off at all? Um, because maybe the the conditions weren't the way you wanted it to? Were you nervous about the corn coming out before uh, and ruining that spot or? Yeah, both actually. So I was, I was nervous for a lot of stuff. I was nervous that 
the corner was going to come off before I could get in there. I was nervous that I would, you know, you just constantly rolling the dice when you're when you're bow hunting. I was nervous I was just going to pick the wrong day, and you know, stuff didn't work out to my favor. Um, I was nervous that there, like if if there was the chance that I would have to like take this buck that before I had the chance to do it, it would get taken by one of the neighbors yep. that are over in that area. So I I did my best to hold out as as long as I could, and the day that I actually shot the buck, I I was planning on hunting a different area, but I figured, you know, after second-guessing myself a whole bunch of times when I was sitting there ready to leave work, you know, I'm looking at the weather, thinking to myself, is this the best decision to make? And I finally changed my mind at the last second and said, hey, I'm going to go hunt this spot rather than the spot that I originally intended on hunting. So So I'm looking at this. I'm looking at this uh, this map that you that you that you have here for us. And mm-hmm. what date did you actually go in and kill the deer? Uh, I believe it was October seventeenth. Okay. Uh, October seventeenth. Okay, uh, Describe to us the the weather conditions. So the weather conditions of that day. Um, leading up to that day, it was pretty warm. Uh, I would say, like, unnaturally warm for that time of year in Wisconsin. And uh, so, I, you know, I, I had my eye on the weather for, like, the previous 10 days, and I knew that this current was coming through and that it was going to drop, like, a good 10 to 20 degrees the next day. So that day, I think it was 50 degrees with a, a northwest wind, like 8 to 10 miles an hour. And previously, it was, like, 65 or 70 degrees. So that's why I knew that I had to be in the woods that day because, you know, I – Personally, had never witnessed it before where, you know, I made the decision to go in right on the front hit and saw all this deer activity. But if you listen to, like, your podcast, Wired Hunt podcast, or, like, all these other people's experiences, and they say that this, like, cold weather triggers deer movement. And, like, I'm a firm believer in that now after after this hunt for sure. But, yeah, I definitely was keeping my eye on the weather, like, leading up to that day. And when it dropped, I made the decision, pulled the trigger, and got out in the woods. Gotcha. Now you you had your trail you had your trail camera right in the middle of this block of timber. Yep. What made you decide to set your stand up where you had it set up? It looks like was it on a field edge? Yeah, it was on it was on a field edge. So there was standing corn in between, like basically surrounding the three sides of that woods, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, like I just I figured that where they were bedding in that woods and the access route that I had, there's probably better places that I could place my stand. But I figured that was the least, uh, like not the, it was it wasn't the most intrusive place that I could go. Gotcha. So I still had some room for error, and that access route or that trail that goes into the middle of the timber, there was like a couple of of smaller scrapes that were on that trail leading into that, that bigger clearing that's in the center of the woods where there was a lot more scrapes. So I figured there, there had to be some traffic that was funneling through past my stand where it was, where I had placed it. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Which, and it, you know, it was a North, was it a Northwest wind that night? North wind. Yeah. Okay. Which is strange because the deer it got out of his bed and he walked with the wind. Yeah, that was a, so, my, the, like, the first thing that my dad taught me when I started hunting was that, like, deer, you know, they're going to use the wind to their advantage. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you always have that thought in the back of your mind. And this was something that was, like, 
you know, it didn't go with the, the norm. You know, the, the buck that I shot, he walked with the wind rather than into it or quartering into it or, you know, it really wasn't in his advantage at all. So I, you know, maybe he had, there were maybe one of the does that were in the area were in, in Astros already and he had his nose to the grindstone, like trailing her or, you know, it, he, you know, I guess we'll never know, but yeah. that was just something that kind of went against the norm that I noticed. All right. So you're, you you're walking into the stand. You climb up. You get settled. What time is it? And then I'm just gonna let you take it from here. Yeah. So I'm walking in. You know, I left work about three o'clock. I was I get done, get changed, and you know I have a routine that I go through when I when I get there. So I, I change, spray down, um, get all my stuff together, and like this not this particular night, I didn't have a stand that was preset in that area. So I. I was basically doing a run and gun setup. Run and gun. Run and gun, baby. Run and yeah. gun. So I, I got all that stuff ready. I'm walking in. You know, I, I find a tree that I think is going to work out and, you know, get all my stuff laid out and start putting everything together. And I realized that. So I have, I have a lone wolf, wolf stand and, like, the climbing sticks then. I forgot the stick straps that go on the tree stand that hold it onto the tree. So I, all I have is the tree stand and then my sticks. Um, to go along with it. So immediately I'm thinking like, crap, like this punch is just wasted. So like on a lone wolf stand, the, the straps that are used for the sticks are the same straps that are used on the stand. So basically what I did is I just, I used, I have four climbing sticks. I used one of the straps from the climbing stick on the stand. And then I only have three climbing sticks. So, I mean, whatever I had to improvise, it was better, better than going back to the truck and just sitting there. Yep. And, um, so I, it took me a little bit longer to get settled in the tree. So I, I was settled in the tree between my 4:30 and 4:45-ish, and you know I immediately am thinking like, wow, I made too much noise. This is too long. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, all the stuff that I think is just going wrong in my head. So at roughly 5:45, that's when deer started getting up, and you know I heard this crunching and rustling that was coming from behind me in the woods, and. You, when you're out there in the woods, you, you immediately write every noise off as being like a squirrel or a chipmunk, or you immediately think that's what it's going to be because, like, when they're in the woods, they sound like they're huge, or it's like like some big robot walking through the woods towards <laughs> you, but it's not. So, um, you know, I turned around and I saw a couple of doe that were walking from that bedding area to the east, about 40 or 50 yards behind my stand, and. You know, I, I had already thought to myself, if I see a doe that comes in the range, I'm going to take a shot at her because it seemed like a good time prior to, like, when the rut would be ramping up to take a doe and not be, like, extremely invasive to any bucks that are on the property. So um, a couple minutes later, uh, it's probably – it's approaching 6 o'clock now. It's it's getting down there with, with shooting time. Um I hear another deer get up from that same area that the doe got up. And this time he starts walking towards the south. So the wind is out of the north. I'm on that south edge of the of the timber and deer starts walking towards the south. And he he gets to the edge of the um, cornfield where the corn meets the timber and starts walking towards my stand. And I immediately see that it's, it's a little four-pointer, a four-corn. And I think to myself, like, immediately start shaking. You know, this is this is the first buck that I've had in, like, shooting range um, in the last two seasons, basically. And 
you know, I make my mind up that I'm going to, I'm going to draw back and take a shot at this deer then. Um, and, and like in hindsight, I should have, I should have taken my time more on this situation. Um, but it's hard when you get in, get in the moment to really slow down and start thinking about it. Yep. Um, so I, I was drawing back, deer gets into the shooting lane and I, I grunt to get him stopped and, you know, he looks up at me immediately when he stops walking, I let the arrow fly and he does the, you know, the, whatever, the big dip and the jump and then takes off, um, about 30 yards away and then stops to a slow walk. And this is like right at last light, um, for shooting time. And, you know, I start, I get my binoculars up and start watching it, watching him to see like, how's he reacting post shot? What's he doing? Um, did I even hit him? Did I miss him? What did I do? Just trying to get as much detail or data as I can on what the shot, what happened with the shot. And um, initially, I thought that I'd hit him too far back and too low, which you know I, I thought I hit him in the guts, which wouldn't be a place that you want to shoot him. So I waited a long time. I, it felt like forever. So probably a good hour before I got down. And at this point, it's like 7:15. Um, pitch black outside, so I, I get down, see the, the arrow where I shot him, and I'm like, yes, yeah. so I, I either missed him or I had a pass through, and immediately when I started examining the arrow, there's like some digestive tissue and some like uh, like dark whatever matter you want to call it, but there's some blood on it too, like some, some dark red blood, and immediately I think like I must have shot him in the guts or somewhere in that area. And I start freaking out, like, uh, what if I bump him off his property? Or what if he just runs forever? What if he doesn't die at all? Like, all this stuff just starts popping into your head. And um, so I start trailing him for a little while. And, like, 25 or 30 yards into the blood trail, the blood starts picking up. It's like a, a deep, dark red blood. And all of a sudden, I hear a deer get up in front of me. And I, th- I think to myself, that's probably him. So this is probably, like, 7.30, 8 o'clock when I'm at this point, and I just decided to back out completely. Um, so I, I actually had my GoPro on my bow, so when I got out of the woods, right when I got back to my truck, threw the card in the laptop, watched the shot, and I, you know, I couldn't tell where I hit him, but it seemed like it was still a little bit farther back than where I was aiming. Um, but yeah, we just basically decided to leave him. I decided to leave him until the morning, because I didn't want to go chasing him around in pitch black. I figured he'd bed down and stiffen up and then finally expire at some point. So, so what were you thinking? What was your, what was your, what was your emotions like knowing that first off that you had, you had just let an arrow go on your very first archery buck ever. And second, what, what were you feeling like when you got down and you had to make that tough decision to back out? It's crazy, man. It's a good thing that I had the harness on for my tree stand because I was shaking like a leaf. It was, <laughs> it was, it was probably top three most exhilarating experiences of my life and most fulfilling also um, to have something come like to fruition that you put all that time and effort into. And like as nervous as you are, like leading up to the shot, and like as shaky as you, and excited you are after the shot gets done or after you take the shot. I think that like the more practice and stuff that you do when you put in, uh, like just shooting at the block or the, the whatever the decoy um, out in the backyard, like during the summer, that moment, like when you're at full draw and settled in to finally let the arrow go, you're not shaking at all. Like that is just like total muscle memory. And you're just, you're ready to go. And, and 
autopilot done before. Yeah. So I, when I, when I got down and finally started trailing them, you know, I, I knew that I was probably gonna have to make that decision on whether or not, do I want to go after him now or do I want to leave him until the morning and just wrapping my head around that, like, Hey, this might not end up the way that you wanted to, or you might not find the deer. It's just like total like deflation a little bit, but still very excited to be in that situation because you put so much time and effort into getting there. Yeah. So awesome. Awesome. So you went home and you waited. Yeah. Waited. Didn't sleep a wink that night. Um, probably watched the video 50 times <laughs> that night, replayed it in my mind even more than that. And like, woke up way too early, like way earlier than I needed to. And was out there at first light with my soon to be brother-in-law, Chris. And, um, he, him and I, like we picked up a blood trail right where I had left it. So I had, I had made sure it was easy to see it. Um, it was a fair amount of blood because when I shot him, he ran for like 30 yards and then started walking. When he started walking, um, that's when the blood kind of like started to pool and pick up a little bit, but I had marked where it was. And basically that was our starting point for trailing him, uh, through the woods. And, um, from that point on the blood just was like, it was very tough to trail them. Like at a few points, like we're talking like pinpricks of blood in, uh, a woods in Wisconsin in like the height of fall where all of these leaves are on the ground that are all these different vibrant colors and just trying to make sure that you don't lose the deer or the blood trail or disturb it in a way where you're not going to be able to go back to it to start over if you have to. Um, so just trying to take as much precaution as we had, as we could. And I had, I had trailed a, a few deer, um, with my dad, like through like gun season when I was younger and stuff like that. So I knew like the basics of doing it, but I'd never done anything with, with a bull, um, with, with wounding a deer with a bull before. So we basically just, you know, you find the spot of blood and then work your way in like a small circle to try and find the next spot of blood. We probably did that for like three hours where he kind of looped back and forth within the woods. And finally we found him on the trail then, um, which was like the most like glorified feeling I think I've ever felt <laughs> aside from when he walked in front of my fan. So yeah, it was, it was great. So you found him, you, you had this glorious, this glorious, uh, uh, moment, right? You, yeah. what, what was going through your head when you laid hands on him for the very first time? Just like incredibly thankful, you know, like, tr- like thankful and like trusting, I guess, to like trust that like you put all this effort and work in to make this happen, that it's just like the validation that the stuff that you're doing um, in relation to like bull hunting or like being outdoors or like, like you do all of these actions with hope that there's going to be like a result that you can arrive at. And then just finally seeing like all the effort validated by a result. It's just a great feeling. Just a great feeling. All right. So you got him, you got him butchered. He's, he's in your freezer. And now I guess explain, I I know you did earlier, but explain in as much detail as possible. What, what his rack looks like. His rack it's he's a, he's not big. He, you know, there are definitely bigger deer out in the woods, but he's, he's probably a yearling, uh, yearling, um, four pointer. So just like the two main beans split come up and then it splits into, um, a little 2.4 on each side. Right. 
So but, it holds an arrow perfectly. So I'm, I'm going to do a, a mount with four on it, and I'm going to just let that arrow sit right on top of his two forks, you know, and hopefully there's some bigger ones to come after him. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, for me, I can remember almost every detail of the very first buck I ever shot with a bow, and it was in 2000. And it was either in 2006 or 2007. I, I, I can't remember the year, but I can tell you exactly. And that story right there is that 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 really didn't keep me going out for bow hunting, but it was it was one of the greatest moments in my life harvesting a mature. You know, well, my my first buck was mature, but but it it was the first buck. I mean, I can even tell you the story of my very first doe I ever harvested, and that I just I was shaking so bad when I shot that doe. So you have absolutely you should be absolutely proud to have shot taken this buck with a bow. You know, there's a lot of people out there who who can't do what you did, and all that hard work paid off. And if I had to guess, you're already planning for this next season. Oh, you damn straight. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> I, I can't wait until. I can't wait until. So right now in Wisconsin, you know, it's like like 10 degrees outside and there's snow on the ground. Um, I can't wait until February rolls around. I've already got weekends circled on the calendar that I'm going to try and go out to the woods to see if there's any other information I can gather. Do a little from what, what happened this past season, and then start hunting for some sheds. That's the other thing that nice. I'm kind of and we're super excited about. But yeah, it was definitely another big learning experience this season. But I think that only positive stuff is going to come from it in the well, future. You know, and I say I'm going to say this. Welcome to the club. And when I say the club, I mean the whitetail bow hunting fanatic club. Yeah. And it just I, it just gets worse and your fiance is going to get pissed at you <laughs> in the future, yeah. but there's nothing you can do about it. You got the fever. He doesn't understand like like when I you guys have made comments in the past like you get done it or like pulling like a trail camera card or something like that and you're just like inches away from your computer screen, like just hitting like the right or left arrow and just clicking through the clicking through the pictures. Like I I totally relate to the excitement behind that and she's always like she's a trooper. She she comes with me sometimes to to pull cards and look at stuff like that. But to her I, I think they're just deer. Yeah. Um but she under, she understands that. It's something that I really enjoy. So I'm I'm thankful for that. Well, let me say, Justin, congratulations uh, for, you know, for this deer that you that you had. Um, and thank you very much for sharing it on on this podcast. Thanks for having me, Dan. You know, I, I appreciate the stuff that you guys do. You, you I mean, I, I don't think it would have happened. I don't think I would have gotten my deer if it wasn't for the stuff that I've learned from you and Mark and other people that are out there that just take the time to put out stuff that they're passionate about or you know, quality content, and um, I'm extremely thankful they have that as a reference. So it wouldn't have happened without you. <laughs> well, I, I can't take any credit. You're the one who drew back, and you did all the hard work. So, again, congratulations, and uh, good luck this upcoming year. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Good luck to you as well. I absolutely love hearing stories like that. Uh, congratulations to Justin. I know – 
him along with me and all of you guys are already jacked for the uh, 2016 season. Uh, we're going to be out there knocking on doors. We're going to be out there on Google Maps or wh- whatever mapping uh, you know system you use, looking at ground, finding access points, you know pinch points, all that stuff. We're going to be shed hunting, and then in the summertime, it's trail cameras and mineral stations, and then the season's here before you know it. So uh, good luck to everybody in 2016. Now, if you haven't already, go to my Facebook page, the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page. Give us a like. Give us a share. Go to Twitter. Give us a follow. Go to Instagram. Follow me there. Um, and then spread the word. If, if, if you like this podcast, spread the word. Let everybody know it's a destination uh, uh, for not only information about archery gear and equipment, but to hear stories from the average Joes like you and me. So uh, I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. I hope everybody had a great season. I know some seasons are, are over. Some seasons are winding down. There's, there may be a, a month left in, in some of the southern states, but uh, it's time to start uh, switching gears a little bit. Season's over and start focusing on uh, 2016. With that said, thank you guys very much for listening and wear your damn safety harness. <laughs>